0: Amen, and thank you, thank you. Amen, thank you so much. Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Hebrews um, in the New Testament. And if you didn't bring your Bible, I think it's on page 808. 808. I'd like to talk to you about living by faith you know there's this powerful verse in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 it goes like this without faith it's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him if ever there is something that we have to have right it's it's this because without it the Bible says we can't be pleasing to God Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one, says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't know how many hundreds of times I've read that verse and scratched my head and said to myself, what does that mean? Uh, I'm a little confused. So if you've read it and you're confused, uh, at least join me in your confusion. Verse number two says, for by it, that is faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. That means that uh, God approved in the Old Testament uh, of the elders uh, whenever they exercised true faith in God, uh, God was pleased with them. Verse number three talks about the creation. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Several times in the Bible do we have that, the the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And that simply means that God spoke the world into existence uh, from nothing. He didn't have any raw materials to, to work with. Verse number four is the beginning of the illustrations of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. He was righteous. Uh, That's the uh, goal of the church. The goal of the church is to present to you the truth of God's word so that when you stand in the presence of God, he looks at you and he says, listen, John is righteous. Mary is righteous. Here we find in this ancient writing... uh, the fact that Abel is declared by God to be righteous by his faith. God testifying of his gifts and through it he, is, he being dead still speaks. Remember I've been talking to you these days about the new covenant. Uh, uh, the book of Hebrews is one of two books in the New Testament that is transitional. The book of Acts is a transitional book. The book of Hebrews is a transitional book. Lots of changes are being made. And, uh, you know, when changes are being made, people don't like to change. Somebody said one time, I like change. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I think some of you are like that, too. We get in a rut. We, uh, we want to stay in that rut, even though we know we need to get out of it. Well, these people uh, to whom the uh, book of Hebrews were, was written were people in tremendous change. Uh, they were people that God was trying to pry the Old Testament rituals and the Old Testament routine right out of their hand, and they were holding on for dear life. And some of them were becoming so discouraged at being a Christian that they were going back into Judaism. They were going back uh, to a faith that they could see, a faith that they could feel, in some sense, in a better way. And one of the reasons why is because Christianity, especially in its early years, was so plain Uh, There were no rituals. Uh, There was uh, nothing visual to hold on to. Uh, These people met in little houses and little groups all over the place, and they virtually had nothing. And so there was this tremendous pull uh, for these people to go back to the temple. We believe the book of Hebrews was written in 65 A.D. That means that the temple worship was still going on right now. And every time they passed the temple, there was this tremendous magnetism, this attraction, this one of the wonders of the ancient world was pulling them back to worship. And the other believers were out there saying, hey, listen, when you come over to our house, we have a little group meeting and we're worshiping Jesus over there. And so these people were really struggling with that. At this time, though, the, uh, the world was steeped in a mold of works righteousness, righteousness. Um, People were trying to justify themselves by all sorts of legalistic routines, self-effort, self-righteousness, self-salvation, self-glorification. And in every generation, there's, there, there seems to be somebody as a voice in the wilderness trying to draw people back to the principle of faith. Now, even though the book of Hebrews talks about a new covenant, there's one part uh, that was not new. And that was the faith principle. The faith principle was introduced by God in the very beginning. God said, listen, I want you to have faith in me. Simply trust me. Uh, The faith principle didn't start with the new covenant. It didn't start in the Protestant Reformation, even though it had died out uh, in many places. During the Protestant Reformation, there were people rising up all over over Europe, and uh, this was their cry. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they were giving their life for that proposition. Well, what is faith? We have it here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let's put it right up here. I like the New Living Translation. I learned to memorize it in this translation because it, it seems to be clearer for me. Let's read it together. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen, it is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. I like those two words up there: confident assurance. That's what faith is. Whenever a person has faith in the right object, there's always confident assurance. You can put your faith in the wrong object and have your faith dashed, but when you put your faith in God, that's the right object of your faith. And you can be confidently assured. That means that you can go out into the world with confidence and you can face the world. And you can declare to the world that the things that they can't see, you can see with the eye of faith. Confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. When God says something in the Bible is going to happen, we believe it because we have what? Confident assurance. We believe that what God says, he means in the Bible. If he said it, that settles it, right? Uh, We have that much faith in in God. Look what else it says here. It is that we have confident assurance in what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, if you like to write in your Bible, I encourage you to write uh, several things here. There are several words that you can add in addition to confident assurance, and they are these. Faith is the title deed. I've read many commentaries on this passage of Scripture, and many commentators say that that, that particular statement works very well there. Faith is the title deed of the things that you are expecting. Even though you don't have the reality of it, you have the most important thing of it, which is the title deed. Another word that will also work well there under confident insurance, is the word foundation. Faith is the foundation of our of, uh, Christianity. It's the principle that God established in the beginning that we should walk by faith and not by sight. Now, it's more, and I, I know that many of you know this in our church, but there are many people not in our church that don't know this. Faith is more than just mentally believing in facts, mentally believing in history. If you go out and you talk to people and you say, well, listen, I'm a Christian. Uh, do you believe in Jesus? What's their answer? Yeah. Sure, I believe in Jesus. I'm not a, uh, a Muslim. I, I'm not a Hindu. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But the faith of which Hebrews chapter 11 is talking about is a whole lot more than that. That's the first step into what real faith really is but it's not the final step James 2 19 says this you believe in God you do well the demons also believe and tremble mental assent is fine but it's supposed to be a stepping stone to real faith uh, people everywhere the demons believe in Jesus Satan believes in Jesus that's not saving faith that's not faith that makes one, one, one right in the sight of God uh, Faith is the power within you that makes the things of another world seem as real to you as the things of this world. That's why when you talk to people about your faith, uh, they walk away and say, I can't see that at all. They don't have your eyes. You see the world through the eye of faith. That's completely different. It is as real to you as the real world around us. It really is. Now, one of the best words that I know how to define the word faith is the word trust. And so when you read the word faith in the Bible, just intersect, interpose that word right there, trust. When you came into the church, you sat down in these pews. You trusted them. Did you hear them squeak? They're really, I, I don't want to wreck your faith in our pews right now, but I'll tell you, they're a little shaky. They really are. And when we fill this auditorium up, and uh, if you see somebody next to you going down, grab them, okay? And we're working real hard to get some, uh, get rid of these old things there. Every now and then somebody will go to Jim Watts, have a whole... No, I shouldn't tell you this story. I'm not going to tell you because you're, you're trusting in these pews today, but please don't. Your faith is only as good as, uh, as the object of your faith. Trust, faith is trust, trust that rests on the promises of God, taking God at His word. Let's say that together, taking God at His word, that's what faith is. If God says it in the Bible, we believe it, we stand upon it, and uh, we believe that o- the object of our faith is strong. Now, God's promises were so real to these people in Hebrews that they based their life upon the promises of God and some of them forfeited their life because they based their life on the promises of God now faith is not just one way to please God it's the only way to please God Uh, you know we spend in verse number 2 let's look at that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible It's interesting here in this uh, delineation of faith, he starts with creation. He takes people back to the beginning. That's a good place to start. And he says, listen, we understand in creation by faith that it was made by God from nothing. What does this mean? This means that the earth is the Lord's. Uh, I find people all the time who come to me and say, listen, I'm really confused about creation I watch the History Channel, that will confuse you. And I see all these theories about the Big Bang Theory and about the uh, Slimy Goo Theory and all of these theories, and, and I'm confused. And after they began to explain to them to me their confusion, I began to think, you know, it takes a whole lot more faith to believe uh, in their theories than it does in God's creation. A whole lot more faith. Uh, the scripture says here that the earth is the Lord. Psalm 24.1. I love that. I don't know whether we have that. Do we have that verse? We don't. It says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to God. Uh, here in this verse, the Bible says that the world was framed by the word of God. Now, that's interesting because we've already, we've already seen this principle. Remember in John 1? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, the word there, the Greek word in John 1.1 1, 1 is the word logos. But here the Greek word is rhema. It's a different word. It's talking about the spoken word. And the other passage is talking about the person of the word. Here he says the word just when God spoke it. When he said, let there be light, the lights went on. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a whole teaching in this particular passage because back in Greek uh, Hellenistic Judaism, Greek Judaism, they believed that, the, that God created the earth from something that was already made uh, from some sort of formless matter. But here the writer kind of takes a jab at that theory and says, listen, God, God created the world from nothing. And he says, uh, and then he begins th- this long journey of exhibiting to you and me what people look like who walk by faith. And it's interesting, the very first person that is used right here is a person who lost his life or his faith. And I was just reading uh, this passage and I was thinking, all these people that we lift up in church and we talk about Moses and we talk about Abraham and we talk about Isaac and Jacob and Gideon and all these people that we lift up, they paid a tremendous price to live by faith. They had many broken hearts. Uh, Their life was not easy, it was hard. Abel is the first example. There are 16 examples here in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at it further in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Here we find the true sacrifice. Uh, Whenever we come to God, we have to offer sacrifices today also. Let me give you one. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I love that. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Those are the sacrifices that God wants from us today. Let us continually do that. Uh, Here the Bible says that his sacrifice was more excellent why? Because he brought the prescribed offering. That's why. The offering that God wanted. How did God deal with sin in the beginning? Adam and Eve sinned. They, they ran away from God. That's what people do. When, when people are living under guilt, they run away. They made for themselves fig leaves. Not too creative. They made fig leaves. And they said, well, this will cover. Uh, this will cover us. And God... God provided them uh, something more than that. Uh, The covering that God gave presupposed the death of an animal, the blood. And God was saying, in effect, the only way that you can stand in my presence is not by the covering of your fig leaves, that which you've made with your own hands. The only way that you can stand in my presence is by applying... What I have provided for you, and it has to be the shedding of an animal. It has to be the shedding of blood. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness of sin. And so uh, Abel comes with a prescribed offering. And uh, this is the true sacrifice. He acknowledged that sin deserved death. And now that that he provided this, he was ready to stand in the presence of God. But Cain's offering was different. It was an offering of works. It really was. Uh, he was an agriculturalist. Uh, and he probably thought, you know, I can offer any kind of offering that I want to God. He was a farmer. But his offering was rejected. It was an offering of good works. You know, God, good works are important, but they are never a basis of one's salvation. Um, they are always a result of a person's salvation not the means of salvation but the result of salvation and so he came with the works of his hands he was religious but not righteous Uh, and all over our world today people are coming to God by the works of their own hands they believe in some way that God has a point system and when they do something good God gives them two points if it's real good three points And there's these recording angels and they're adding up all the points. And certainly those people are better than they are bad. And so therefore the pendulum weighs in their direction at the judgment. And God will certainly let them in because they haven't done anything so foul as other people. Cain was uh, doing the natural thing here. The natural mind would conjure up. He was bringing the works of his hands. And his offering was rejected. And you know what Jude said? Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter there. Jude chapter 1. He says, don't go in the way of Cain. Whoa. Don't go in the way of Cain. Uh, Abel brought a blood sacrifice. Cain brought the works of his hands. And God says, listen, I accept Abel's sacrifice, I reject Cain's sacrifice. God always rejects good works sacrifice uh, if it's if it's sacrificing for salvation. But then I want you to notice here in, in verse number four, something in addition. This was counted to him as true righteousness. By faith offered, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which, now watch through which he obtained witness that he was what? He was righteous. Let's say it. He was righteous. That meant that he was right with God. Righteousness has several dimensions. The first is positional righteousness. The second is practical righteousness. Positional righteousness we call sanctification. Practical righteousness we call, or excuse me, Positional righteousness is justification. Practical righteousness is sanctification. When I was a young kid growing up in church, we went to a church that preached the Bible. And uh, the the old pastor would say, listen, the way to remember justification is just to remember that whenever God declares us righteous, we we are just as though in his sight as we have never sinned. That's true. That's positional righteousness. When God looks down... And we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. He looks at us as though we have never sinned. That's justification. Uh, being declared righteous by God. And so uh, here we find the scripture says that he was righteous. And, and why so? Well, the character of a person making the offering made the offering acceptable and the other not. You know, reputation is something that everybody knows about you and character is what you really are. Mm. Abel's uh, righteousness was by faith. I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, Let's look at that. Ephesians 2 chapter. Uh, Let's read this together, okay? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Boy, that's a wonderful passage, isn't it? By grace, that word grace means blessing, favor, not by our own hands, not by our own ingenuity or our own initiative, but by God's mercy, we've been saved through faith, faith in him. Nothing that we can do of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Galatians 6.14 says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look around the church and we say, boy, this person is such a good Christian. We just pat him on the back. We hold them up and we make a big event out of them. The Bible says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, when you read the book of Revelation, uh, you find that uh, so many times in the book of Revelation, the word lamb is used there because whenever we go to heaven and we spend all of those millenniums and however you decipher those uh, eternal years with the lord the theme the theme is going to be the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world Uh, we're going to always be cheering the lamb of god in heaven for the salvation that we have in jesus christ the next verse is good Uh, verse number 10 ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 let's read this for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should welcome them. Now we are God's workmanship. The New Living Translation says, masterpiece. Um, God made you. We're created for good works in Christ first. Good works are always a result of real faith. When, when you open your heart to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, I'll tell you, one of the first things you want to do is go to work for Jesus. Amen? Man, I'll tell you what, that's something that is inborn in you. Good works. And the Bible says they were planned by you, look at that, beforehand, that we should walk in them. You know, God's desire is that you get on his channel and you go to work for him. I've had people say, well, you know, I just don't know exactly what to do. Well, you just come up here and present yourself to Jim Watts and say, listen, Jim, here are these two hands. You just tell me what to do. I'll, he'll get lots, you'll get lots of good works to do. Uh, you pray to the Lord in the morning, Lord, show me what to do. Give me a work to do. God will give you a work to do. And, you know, there's nothing that makes you any happier than serving Jesus. Amen? I mean, it's the greatest joy in all the world. We had all these kids up here at Bible school this summer. I mean, this was a riotous place. Uh, I mean, I never saw so much fun in all my life. But you know who was having the most fun are the workers. Well, I think most of the time. The workers. I saw saw Elner here this morning. I think she was in the first service. She lives just a few streets over here. Elner Sabatini. She was one of the workers in Bible school. Uh, She didn't drive her car up here. She walked up here she's our eternal teenager she walked up here and after it was over she walked home down 88 with all of her Bible school materials under her arm Uh, she's never so happy as when she's working for God Uh, God has a work for you to do and if you'll volunteer uh, if you're saved there's something inside of you that says listen I have to do something for Christ I have to serve him with all my heart listen Good works are never a means of salvation, but they are always a result of your salvation. If you don't have a desire in your heart to work for Christ, something's wrong with your spiritual life. Uh, There is that passion in your heart. Listen, I've got to serve Christ. I've got to find some place in the body of Christ to be of value. Um, And so here, we have true righteousness is by faith, not by works. Uh, And then we have... uh, True witness. Let's look further in verse number 4. He obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. That's provocative right there. Abel was the first martyr of the faith, of faith. He speaks from the dead. Every person speaks from the dead. you know that? When you die, your life lives on. You know, we have our funeral services and we wax eloquent about how important your contribution to the world has become. And how people are going to live out some of your principles. Uh, But that, as trite as that may be, uh, and as common as that statement may be, it's really true. Your life is going to live on. Your life is going to live on through your kids. Your life is going to live on through the people that you love, the people that you've impacted, and uh, if it's positive for Christ, that's a good thing. But if it's negative, that's a bad thing. There are many people I know even in our church that are suffering for the sins of their parents and suffering for the sins of their grandparents. Their, their lives are living on in their kids. But uh, Abel uh, here is, the re- is uh, given to us an example of how he speaks and being dead. What would he say? What does his life say? Uh, I think it says, faith not works. That's what it says. Uh, he says, listen, Cain brought his works, I brought my faith. Faith is supreme. I think he would uh, say, say also that we should accept God's revelation above human wisdom. Uh, you know, it, uh, it made sense that Cain could bring all the things that he achieved to God and present him to him as a sacrifice. But, you know, God's sense and our sense are two different senses. They really are. You know, people say, well, you know, uh, you know it just seems logical to me that God would accept me. If I'm, if I'm doing this for him, it only seems logical that God would accept you if it's found in the word of God, to be God's prescribed way to approach him. Uh, God doesn't take into account our reasoning He's already reasoned this all out. And all we have to do is follow his reasoning. Another thing I think he would say is sin is severely punished. Uh, You know, I read several times this week the account of Cain and Abel in Genesis. And it's kind of scary because, remember, God called Cain out and said, Listen, where's your brother? And he said, Am I my brother's keeper? He says, where's your brother? He says, his blood cries out from the ground to me. Maybe Cain buried his brother in the ground, but you can't hide from God. He says, his blood cries out from the ground. And he says, listen, you're cursed. You're going to be a vagabond. You're going to be traveling. You're going to have no place to rest. People are going to hunt you down. And you know what he said? He said, my punishment is greater than I can bear and so Abel speaks from the ground and says listen sin is severely punished by God you know people have the idea today if they don't accept Jesus well you know it's not a big thing but you know I think there's going to be a lot of people in eternity that have to pay for the the penalty of their sins and and that's going to be the least of their statements my punishment is greater than I can bear An eternity in separation from God is no small thing. Well, Abel, as he stood before God with his offering, his body and his soul were in harmony. And Cain came, his body and soul were not together. He was going through the motions, but his heart wasn't in it. He wasn't doing it God's way. And whenever you and I serve the Lord, our body and our soul have to be in unity, have to be in communion, in harmony. And, uh, and when they are, God says, listen, I'll accept your offering. But if we're just going through the motions and we're just going through the trappings of being a Christian, God knows the difference. But he invited Cain to, to, turn, around his, to turn his life around and he refused. Uh, God is a God of grace today and he reaches out uh, to people. There are many people going through the emotions of Christianity today and that's all they're going through. I'll tell you, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, Going through the emotions and emotions of Christianity without faith and trust in in God's word is uh, is certainly a prescription uh, to pay the penalty for your sin. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask those who are serving communion to come forward right now, please. And as they're coming forward, I'd like to ask you to look into your heart. How do you bring your offerings to God? Are you religious but not righteous? Are you depending on your good works to get you to heaven or justify you in the sight of God? Listen. Don't do that. It won't work. We have to have complete and total trust in the finished work of Jesus upon the cross. We have to trust him and him alone, not anything that we could present to God. And so I want to encourage you today there in the privacy of your pew to say, Lord, forgive me for being so presumptuous to try to present to you anything that I can produce. Forgive me, Lord. I completely trust you as my Savior. I abandon every attempt on my part to justify myself. I am unjustifiable. I am lost. I am hopeless. I am helpless without your grace, Lord. I bring nothing to you but my sin. And I come to, to change my sin into your righteousness by faith. Dear Lord, as we take communion, we thank you today for what you did for us on the cross. We pray that as we communion with you now and as we remember the sacrifice that you made, that you'll draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.